Good morning, noon, and evening around the world and across the shards. The Cavern Today brought to you by the Cavern Communications Network and Until Uru Fan Presentation. If you want to follow along at our blog or for photos or other information like that all-important email where you can send your G-rated comments, please go to echo2thecaverntoday.blogspot.com. Music is courtesy of Huru's LCC. Your hosts today are Tyon and Verlou. Shirah Bishem, everyone, and welcome to Podcast 6. I'm your host, Tyon, and here with me is co-host Verloon. With Thanksgiving over, we move into December, heading towards the new year. On today's podcast, you will hear an interview with the founder of the Tapestry Shard, Eric L. We also have a report on Gamers Union, done by Mr. Crocs, also a new episode of Journey of the Called, and some music by the guy who sang You Sit, Drink, and Coffee, Mateus and some ads on some upcoming events. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Sure, this is Fialun with the Cavern Today, a Cavern communication production and until Uru fan presentation. Our podcast motto is around the world and across the charts. Our host and production team are international, and our program is variety and information entertainment for the Mist and Euro community. Our cast is family listening rated and is released semi-monthly. Our minicasts are released every couple of days, or whenever we need to do a CSA, Cavern Service Announcement, to the community. If you are interested in knowing more about us, be sure to visit our website, thecaverntoday.com. Register at our forum and subscribe to iPodder or iTunes. If you are a shard administrator, community organizer, or guild or group leader, you may want to contact us about running your CSA or other news items over the airwaves. Hundreds of Cavern citizens have downloaded our podcast and or subscribed to them. Our email address is info at thecaverntoday.com. If you need to find us in the iTunes, iPodder or Pickle directory, just search on the word Cavern. We will be there ready to provide audio solutions for our Mist and Euro listeners. Music courtesy of LCC on the Euro project chart. Now Steve has some news on the Gamers Union. Hello everyone. Recently there's been a lot of commotion over Gamers Union asking for beta testers to test their new client Uru Live. This of course set off some wild speculation all over the cabin. We at the cabin today got in touch with Gamers Union and after speaking to Austin have the following to say on the matter. They unfortunately made a contextual error. They'll only be using until Uru to model their software. They are sorry for using the term Uru Live as it implies they hope to add new content. However, Gamers Union's business model is designed to help companies succeed in the multiplayer online game space. Even companies, like Sion, that had a rough time of it initially. So we at the camp today hope that their business model works for until Uru. They were unable to provide a pricing range and comment on Sion's activities. However, they did suggest that Gamers Union will allow people to sign up to different packages. Some only allowing a person to use a single multiplayer online game, others to allow you to use all of them. So if Sign do decide to move into a room to Gamers Union, then people should be able to afford it. While we at the camp today agree that paying for a static game may turn some people away, we feel that if doing so allows Uru Live to come again, then it will be well worth the price. 
There's been some commotion from shard owners, and several people have grown close to their particular shard about the sudden seeming abandonment by Sion, how they feel if Sion was suddenly to allow only Gamers Union to run Uru servers. We would like to remind everyone that until Uru was a gift from Sion, until Uru could rise again. So please do not worry or fret, there will be an announcement soon from Rand Miller in January or February on the calendar day which will hopefully clear this matter up. Thank you Steve. Over to you Mowok. Hello again, this is Mowog. It's our treat to feature an interview with Eric L. from the Tapestry Shard today. Uh, unlike our other interviews, this one won't be a conversation as such, but more of a report. I'll be reading some pre-prepared questions and then playing back Eric's responses. So keep that in mind as you listen and enjoy. Uh, the first question for Eric is, uh, you've always gone under Eric L., and the question that's on everybody's mind is, what does the L stand for? My last name is actually Larger. It's spelled like large, and it goes into most computers as large, um, but it's, it's actually Larger. There's an accent mark on the E. You've been involved in Myst and Uru for quite a long time. When did you first get your hands on a Myst game? When I first started playing Myst, I was actually introduced to it by my mother, believe it or not. At, at one point, and I, I believe I had uh, I was no longer at home at the time. My mom was raving about this this game. My, you gotta understand, my mother really doesn't play video games, and she started talking about this this game that she'd been playing. And the coolest thing was that you had as much time as you want, and you couldn't die, and, and you couldn't permanently mess up. And I was like, okay, well, um, that's that's interesting. I, I didn't really do much with it at first, and then at one point they had a. They had a Mac up at school, and they had a, a copy of Mist on it. So I, I gave it a try and started clicking my way around. Well, I think two days later, I'd ended up buy, buying a copy for myself. This is kind of embarrassing, but I actually finished it in about two days, simply because I was working on it every week, waking moment. <laughs> but uh, that was that was my first Mist experience, and and then I. I ended up kind of being lumped in with everybody who was waiting feverishly for Riven, etc. A bit of explanation first before these next questions. Cyan did an initial beta on Uru, and since it was hosted on their server known internally as Cho, that beta version of Uru was known as Choru, and the later beta up at Ubisoft server was referred to as Ubiru. So if we use those terms here, that's what we're talking about. Okay, Eric, how did you get involved in Choru? Well, that's that's an interesting story because I have a friend here at work who is a big time Mist fan, big time pretty much anything Cyan Worlds fan, and he actually had Rand Miller down here as a speaker. We have a, a speaker series within the country that they bring industry leaders and and stuff like that, and he managed to book Rand Miller to come down and speak. Well, I was, of course, I was incredibly jazzed about this. And so I ended up volunteering to set up three computers in the lobby, one with each version of Myst that was out at the time. Uh, it was uh, Myst, Riven, and Exile. And I spent, you know, the, the interview was like in the afternoon. And I spent the entire day up to that point sitting around the computers showing people the games so that people would have an idea of where, where all this is coming from. And at one point, I don't know how uh, my friend ended up slipping him past me, but of course I was busy helping people with, with games and stuff like that. He sort of waves from the con the conference room across the, co the hall. Hey, hey, Eric, come in here. And so I'm, I, I was kind of finished what I was doing and saunter over and I open the door and there's Rand Miller standing right in front of me. And I was so dumbstruck that 
the only thing that came out of my mouth at that moment was, are you really there? <laughs> um, and that was, that was how he introduced me to Rand. And Rand ended up inviting me to join the, the Choru beta test at that point, which is how I ended up getting his email address and stuff like that. And, you know, then it was just a matter of getting, you know, I contacted him, then somebody else from there contacted me back, I think it was Chris Brandcamp, and I did an NDA, and then I was in. And how big was the Choru team, give or take? Good question. Um, it's funny because they had uh, beta testers kind of float in and out. I mean, there was a there was kind of a core group that had been there forever. I mean, I am Foreman, Riven Chan, Dr. Greer, uh, people like that. And, you know, I would probably say between 102, but that's, that's a, honestly, that's a total guess. How was Choru different from Ubiru? Choru, um, Choru had a lot more raw stuff in it. Um, stuff that was still under development, stuff that was just plain broken, but they threw it out there anyway for us to take a look at. Um, we were probably a build or two ahead of Ubiru. You know, we were considered the alpha test group, which means that we were testing stuff that was very much likely to be broken. And, uh, so there was a lot more. We ended up seeing stuff that I mean, it wasn't like major stuff, but, you know, we ended up seeing um, small stuff that never really made it to Ubiru because they either gave up on it or changed their mind in the course of development or just decided that this or that thing just wasn't going to work. So we ended up seeing stuff that was still in the process of being designed, which was kind of fun. Of course, it, it also made for some very comical episodes of things breaking. Our next question is, was there ever any thought like, I wonder if Uru Live will work? Was there ever any doubt if it would work or not? During Choru, I don't think there was ever any real doubts as far as, I mean, everybody was so jazzed. I mean, they weren't even thinking about what if we fall flat on our face. It was just like, go, 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 go. I mean, there was a lot of, lot of speculation more about what would give the best experience. I mean, because we were allowed to talk very freely about um, our ideas. And so there was a lot more talk about what would give the best experience for people, but I don't think anybody really talked to any great degree of what happens if this doesn't work. I just don't think that was ever really discussed, at least on, on our end. It has been said that a number of the Choru builds were far more stable than the later live prologue builds. Do you agree, or was the performance issues in live purely a result of traffic? Well, I mean, th I think the big difference with that is that Choru was a fairly small group. It wasn't... Um, the kind of mass quantities of people that we saw during Uru Live. Honestly, the reason why only so many people were invited in a bit at a time was because they were still working out how to deal with lag issues and stuff like that. And when we had that great big huge flood of people, I think I think 10,000 people showed up at once instead of the 100 100 bits here and there that they're supposed to have. And that's when things really kind of got weird because then you have the, the places absolutely teeming with people and they're all running around doing the same things. And so it did cause a lot of, a lot of stability problems. But I, think, I don't think we really, from our end, could tell whether things were a crash or, or a client problem or whatever. It was more looking at just extreme lag issues and stuff like that. As far as more, I don't think it was really any more stable uh, than, than live. It's just that it, had, it was under a lot less stress. Our next question is, were the ex-Choru guys aware that Live would be going down before Rand's letter to us all? 
Hmm. Not enough to make a difference, really. I think we might have gotten a few hours lead. They were pushing till the last minute, so they didn't want to tell anybody anything until they were absolutely sure. So, I mean, we really only got a few hours of, of uh, extra notice. And, of course, we weren't allowed to tell anybody anyway because we were all under non-disclosure agreement at the time. It's kind of funny because during Prologue, we were actually under non-disclosure agreement longer than the Ubi beta test people. Uh, people were asking all sorts of questions during Prologue that I knew the answers to, and I couldn't even... Honestly, I couldn't even say that I was a member of Choru at the time because we were still under our NDA. Uh, we were actually under NDA until about the time it closed. Where do you think the story of Uru Live would have gone if it hadn't ended? Do you think we would have taken the path of the shell online? Hmm. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't doubt that those ages would have been part of Live, but I don't know if the story would have been told the same way. When... Ubi originally requested that an offline boxed version of the game be made. Some elements of the story that were actually meant to play out over a long period of time ended up getting kind of scrunched into this small packaged episode. I don't doubt that they ended up doing something very similar to that with Path of the Shell. It's very likely that that sort of stuff would have been in live, not necessarily told the same way, but the ages and the puzzles, etc. probably would have been. I don't think that uh, I don't think it would have been exactly the same. Talk to us about the time between live ending and until Uru starting. You set up tapestry and bridge builders. How did this come about? Well, to tell you that story, I'm going to have to move a little farther back because I'm actually going to move back during prologue. You know, to give you a little background on the bridge builders and tapestry during. During prologue, when they were still ramping up the story, one of the things that the story had a tendency to do was divide people into camps. You had people who were following Sharper, you had people who were following the DRC, you had people who were um, following Phil Henderson and Yisha, but not necessarily Sharper. It, it fragmented the community into factions, which in a way was sort of fine in, ter in terms of the story, but it was also causing interpersonal relationships to break up. And we'd have examples where people would have friends on the other side, and it would break up friendships. We'd actually had reports of friendships in real life being broken up by people being on, aligned with one philosophy or another. Other examples, I mean, we've had similar examples of this sort of thing go going on during UU. And at the time, I was thinking, you know, we've really got to come up with some way to deal with this, because if the community gets too fragmented and too inclined to squabble, it could kind of... It could kind of bring the house down after a while because it'd become one great big war. I figured probably the best thing to do was to kind of work socially between uh, members of the different groups just to kind of reinforce connections across these gaps, which is where we'd come up with the idea for building bridges, bridges between people. At first, it was just me, you know, and I would talk to different people involved, and there were some people who were very upset that, you know, at, at first I would just kind of be there to console and to listen and to learn what a person's really like. And I would talk freely with people on both sides of the issue. Well, you know, just realizing that it was such a big thing, I knew it couldn't just be me. So periodically I would find somebody who seemed to be pretty level-headed and balanced about things, people who made a point of staying neutral. And I would broach the subject in generalities at first, and then eventually I'd tell them about what I was wanting to do. I think we'd probably gotten up to about eight or ten members by the time live closed. <laughs> 
Uh, it's funny because we were doing all this building up and we were, we were talking to people on all sides and talking amongst ourselves and trying to come up with creative solutions and then everything went bye-bye. Now, tapestry was originally meant to be a kind of extension of that philosophy, connecting people together. And so what we were going to do, we were going to provide a site where people could keep a journal of their experiences in the cavern. But the way we were going to do it, you could take your particular journal entry and connect it to somebody else's entry. And you could connect it to as many other people's entries as you want. And when you pull up somebody's journal, it would say what entries they connected to, but also what entries somebody else connected to them. So you could look either way, and it would make this kind of web of interconnected stories. That was the original idea for Tapestry. Well, when Live went down, you know, there were, there were going to be no more in-cavern experiences, so it was kind of a moot point. And, of course, we weren't finished with the original site. So... You know, at first we kind of thrashed around. It's like, well, what are we going to do now? Are we going to close Tapestry? What are we going to do? And I finally decided to email Cyan. I emailed um, Chris Brandcamp and said, I would like, you know, being as we don't have uh, live anymore, I would like to create something web-wise that had some of the feeling of live. And what I asked was to be able to kind of recreate bits of live in web page form. And... He got back to me and said that was fine. You know, if you use any cyan graphics, just make sure it's properly disclaimed somewhere so that, you know, it doesn't look like, you know, so, so that you're not actually pirating their graphics. You know, that, that made it legit. What I did was I started building what we now call the web hoods. And I realized that they're, they've almost been forgotten about these days. <laughs> Although before, until Uru, they actually, uh, at one point, Cyan Chat went down and they actually moved into the web hoods as a backup. And of course, this happened while I was at dinner and I was, uh, you know, I came back and it was like, do you have any idea who was in here? And I was like, I was at dinner. I missed it all. <laughs> and then, and then until, uh, until Uru came about and... You know, just that day, as far as I know, the, the day that Until Uru launched, I had, uh, I had Tapestry Shard set up, and that's what everybody pretty much remembers now. Then Until Uru was announced. Talk about your reaction to this. Did it involve a sudden frantic purchase of Linux servers and late nights toiling with Plasma servers? That's an interesting story. Um, well, first of all, I already had a server dedicated to running the websites. You know, because I'd already, I'd already had one for Tapestry Shard, or I mean, for, for the Tapestry websites, and also for some of my own websites. So I already had a dedicated server available. However, the software on it wasn't quite right. So I ended up spending several hours after work adapting the server I had at the time so that it would run Plasma. Well, the only problem is that I was also keeping, like, all of my email and stuff like that on the server, and, I mean, I had, like, every email for the past eight years archived on the on the email server, because I figured that was the safest place for it, right? Well, at one time, I was swapping out software, and I had to change the version of the email server for it to work, and it deleted all of my email. Eight years worth of email. Once I realized it was gone, I just kind of sat there with my mouth open for probably about 15 minutes, staring at the computer screen in absolute disbelief, and then continued working on, uh, continued working on getting the server upgraded and, and uh, starting Tapestry. So that was, that was kind of the, the bloodletting for, <laughs> for getting Tapestry started. I don't, I don't miss it now. At the time, it was just like devastating, but I don't, uh, I don't regret what happened. Anyway, so after that, I mean, I had the, I had the shard that up uh, up that evening, had it up and stable, uh, came home, celebrated, and started having people coming in. 
As a matter of fact, I think I think LK may have been the second person to show up in the original shard. Well, the early days must have been very busy and exciting. Must have felt amazing to offer people a chance to return to the cavern. You know, it's amazing because we had so many problems during during that first month or so with the server. We had um, we had a lot of a lot of crashes, a lot of vault crashes, which should be extremely rare. But at the time, we didn't know about the Path of the Shell importing problem. <clears throat> and so people were importing stuff from Path of the Shell, and I was seeing these ages in the vault that didn't exist, and the next thing you know, the vault would just crash. And it was it was a learning process, learning how to get the get the server to be stable, learning what could be done, what couldn't be done. But the funny thing is that the community, throughout all these crashes, even the first vault wipe, which... The first vault wipe was was kind of a shock to people, but it was like ten minutes after it was done, everybody was out partying again. I mean, all I all I could say is that people must have been on the best antidepressants that anybody has ever made because we went through we went through so much junk, and yet everybody was just happy to be there. And that was that was the when that was the really cool experience when we could just go through all kinds of rocky times and everybody and all it did was make make everybody more appreciative of being there. It's been more than one year now. Where do you see Untool Uru going, and what's next? That's a tricky question, because there's not a whole lot of information out there. There are groups that are working on different ways to modify the key. There are work, people working on working on new content. And, of course, there's all sorts of mystery stuff going on behind the scenes that may come to fruition, may not. I mean, I definitely think that Until Uru has a future. However, I'm not sure that that it's going to remain in the form that it is. Because the way that it is now is kind of static. You know, it's it's a place, it's consistent, you know, it has a definite population, it has a definite culture. But in the future, one way or another, I, I imagine in order for it to really continue, it has to change in some form or another. How that's going to happen is up in the air. And I don't doubt that every person you ask is going to have a different opinion on what that uh, what that entails. The one thing that I think will not change with regards to Uru in whatever form it's going to be is going to be the community. The community has to be the common thread. The people. The people are really what what Uru's all about anyway. Without without people, it's a static game. It's it's like any of the other missed games. It's solitary. The thing that really defines Uru is the community the interactions, the camaraderie that we see. And in some respects, the problems and the flaws and the uh, squabbles and all that. I mean, it's all part of a culture. You can't expect everything to be rosy all the time. It's been a pleasure to have you on, Eric, and we thank you. Uh, do you have any last comments before we go? Hmm, last comments. Well, I would have to say that this has been a very interesting year. You know, I've, I've been involved with Uru one way or another, uh, as a fan, as a beta tester, as kind of a booster, an administrator, for <laughs> quite some time. And it's amazing how well the community has held together, despite everything that has gone on. And I think that the community is still my major focus. Yeah, I realize that I haven't always been the best support for the community. Not necessarily for lack of trying, sometimes for, tr for, sometimes for trying too hard and getting myself in hot water. But uh, the most important thing to me... And the thing that really is the heart and soul of Uru is the people. It is the community. As it is, 
and trying to learn how to work with the community as it is and how to help the community as it is is really my main focus still. As far as the future, the most important thing to me as far as the future isn't necessarily the physical components of Uru. It's the people that we're able to hang together, that we're able to enjoy each other's company and appreciate each other, either for our similarities or for our differences, and really give Uru the life it deserves, one way or another, whatever the physical medium is. Because Uru is us, really. Uru is the community. It is the people. Well, thank you very much again. And for The Cavern Today, this is Moog signing off. Thanks, Moog. And now, it wouldn't be a podcast without a piece from Mateus.
upcoming January 7th, 2006, Yisha Day, a day totally dedicated to Yisha herself. This event will be held on the Tapestry Event Shard, and all you need to attend is your Yisha shirt, or reward shirt as it's also called. This event will include the Yisha tours. Yes, the Yisha tours. So if you've been on one of these tours before and want to go again, or if you've never been on one of these tours and want to go, head over to the following forms to sign up. Sign up forms are as follows Uru Obsession Form, Tapestry Form, and the Cavern Today Form. Simply search for Yisha Day Yisha Tour Sign Up Sheet. And same goes for the Yisha Day information. Simply look for the topic named Yisha Day. It will all be in capital letters with exclamation points. Sure off for now. The Cavern Communications Network is now pleased to present the continuing story of Journey of the Calm, featuring the voices of Zam as narrator, Mowag as Jeff and Karal, Tyon as himself, and Moiety Jean as Sarah. Much has happened in a short time. Explorers in the cavern were rescued by Yisha when terrible earthquakes suddenly struck to me. But when Yisha herself was kidnapped by the dark stranger Kiral, the sanctuary of the Baro Caves became a prison for the refugees. Tyon, too, was abducted by Kiral, and the stranger returned with a chancy way out of the caves for Sarah and Jeff, through Tyon's Relto book. But Tyon's Relto is, too, a prison for Jeff and Sarah, and Tyon's journals may provide a clue for their escape. Sarah and Jeff sat in the center of a flowing relter's hut, surrounded by small piles of books. Some of the journals lay open, with pages folded to mark them. Others had been set aside when they revealed no clues. I can't look through any more of these. Oh, hang in there. You know Ty, he's very thorough when he writes. A little too thorough for me. Okay, finish this one. What'd you learn? Well, I learned that Ty is too thorough. Oh. <laughs> Just for that, you can have another from my stack. Get reading. Well, Sarah? Yeah? How are you handling all of this? What do you mean? Well, everything. I mean, the earthquake, the fact that we're all scattered, and, well, everything else. Well, just trying to take things in stride, I guess. Honestly, I'm scared to death that things might never go back to normal, but we've been through too much to give up. We've made so many friends and seen so many amazing places. It's a little comforting to know that whatever happens, someone will remember us. I couldn't have said it better myself. Quite the determined little crowd Yisha scrounged up. I don't remember being so inspired by anything she said to me. In a darkened chamber, Kirol stood with his arms folded, scrolling at a conjured view of Jeff and Sarah as they read. He looked down at the four unconscious captives at his feet. Neither Yisha, nor Tyon, nor the two barrows moved, but the symbol on Tyon's shirt abruptly shimmered to life and glowed a radiant sky blue. So, she's trying to awaken him. 
<laughs> it won't work. Kirol again demonstrated his power, extinguishing the light with a mere wave. Give up, Yisha. That's pathetic. <laughs> to think I once considered you a teacher, it makes me sick. He returned his attention to the image from Relto. So what will your friends do now, Tyon? <laughs> Clearly they have no regard for privacy. They're looking through all your journals. Oh well, it's been fun. You know, I think Ty might not have lost track of time at all. Why? Look at this one. This entry here? But it's dated five days from now. <laughs> okay. Today I decided to go back into the abandoned cave. I was given access to it by Isha for reasons that I can only speculate right now. At first, I was worried something might collapse. At a second glance, it seemed more stable than it looked. It was pretty similar to a Barrow cave, just a circular room, but there was no fissure in the center, and the walls looked like the stone walls you see in the round pillar room on Kavir. Really dusty and dark. I found that the room was filled with symbols on the wall. I was familiar with some of the symbols. There was a journey hand that represented the path of the hand, and underneath it were the symbols for all the ages we go to. Then I noticed another one, which was the arch, representing the path of the arch, and of course that had the symbols for that journey, and of course there were the path of the shell journeys under the shell symbol. I can't draw, so I took some pictures on my key. I think I will go back tomorrow and see if I can bring a better flashlight or some fire marbles or something. Well, that's definitely interesting. Why didn't he tell anyone about it? I think we need to be looking for future dates, not past ones. Journey of the Called is written by Tyon, with script and sound editing by Moiri Jean, and music by Hardmoon and Cyan Worlds. To find out more about Journey of the Called, its cast, and its music, go to www.thecaverntoday.com. Tapestry Shard will be hosting its second annual Until Ooh Christmas Party Sunday, December 18th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Event Shard. Eventshard.ootapestry.com All shards are invited to the festivities. It would be wonderful to see many of our friends who haven't been around for a while join in, and of course many of those who have yet to come to the cavern. So come home to Dunny for the holidays, one and all. Come and enjoy along with us our Santa Comes to Dunny Parade, live entertainment, special marker hunt, and caroling, as well as our usual seasonal foods, refreshments, and music. You can plan on me. 
In less than two weeks, Cavern Communications Network plans to bring you their own production of the Cavern Christmas Carol. Many of your favorite actors will reprise their roles from earlier episodes of the Cavern today, and I will have the opportunity to play Tiny Tyon. It should be an interesting role. A full-length video illustration filmed by Veraloon and produced by Veraloon and Ruby O'Degee will accompany our production. The finale will feature our entire team with greeting cards to the cavern. You won't want to miss the distribution date for this adaption of Charles Dickens' classic. December 22nd, following distribution, we plan to hold a cast party. Everyone is welcome to come by the Pompous Heeksters Guild Hood for refreshments, TeamSpeak stream, merrymaking, and Fool's Gift Exchange. For more further updates about this party, go to www.thecaverntoday.com. Until then, enjoy the holiday parties advertised on today's program. Ruby O'Degee. While on my recent vacation, I revisited the second book from the Miss series by Rand Miller and David Wingrove, Tiana. With credit to Chris Brandcamp, Richard Watson, and Ryan Miller, Tiana is my favorite book of these favorite books. It is a travelogue for the cavern, partly because it is a great adventure story. It speaks of guild makeup and history. Best of all, it is a love story between Tiana and Atris, the grandparents of Atris. And what good love story doesn't start with a story about friends and loyalty, or not? For it is never so simple that two people meet without cultural differences or issues related to family concerns, even duty to their own communities. So it was for Tiana and Atris. In fact, when Anna first discovered the cavern we have all come to love, its controversial excavation by its Dunny natives had started to uncover much more than a few acres of dirt. What Anna found was a culture in transition, an isolated culture soon to see its first glimpses of natural light through none other than Tiana, first called Anna and born a surface dweller. When it comes down to it, the mystery of many a good love story is how the change takes place in the heart, a celebration of what a couple or family takes to their new life compared with what they choose to leave behind. Not always easy, these decisions to make. Since the story becomes fairly complicated, threading itself through the tunnels that Anna travels, and it impacts a number of Dunny's elite citizens, I will read a couple of passages that describe the change in Anna as she goes from being an 18-year-old girl to the wife and mother of Gen, a child who grows up to tell a story from an entirely other perspective. I think it will give you a good idea of the kind of experience you can expect to find once you pick this book up to read or read again. She helped him down onto the great sofa at the end of the room, then ducked under the narrow stone lintel into the galley kitchen at the front. A moment later she returned, a stone tumbler of cold water held out to him. No, Anna, that's too extravagant. Drink it, she said insistently. I'll make a special journey to the pool tonight. He hesitated then, with a frown of self-disapproval, slowly gulped it down. Anna, watching him, saw suddenly how pained he was, how close to exhaustion, and wondered how long he had struggled on like this without saying anything to her. You'll rest tomorrow, she said, her voice brooking no argument. I can continue with the survey on my own. She couldn't see he didn't like the idea. Nonetheless, he nodded. 
And the report? If the report's late, it's late, she said tetchily. He turned his head, looking at her. I gave my word. You're ill. He'll understand. People are ill. Yes, and people starve. It's a hard world, Anna. Maybe so, but we'll survive. And you are ill. Look at you. You need rest. He sighed. Okay, but a day, that's all. Good. Now let's get you to your bed. I'll wake you later for supper. It was dark when she heard him wake. She had been sitting there watching the slow, inexorable movement of the stars through the tiny square of the window. Turning, she looked to where he lay, a shadow among the shadows of the inner room. How are you feeling now? A little better. Not so tired, anyway. Anna stood, walked over to where the pitcher rested in its carved niche beside the marble slab on which she prepared all their meals and poured him a second tumbler of cold water. She had climbed down to the pool at the bottom of the chasm earlier while he slept and brought two pitchers back strapped to her back, their tops stoppered to prevent them from leaking as she climbed the tricky rock face. It would last them several days if they were careful. He sipped eagerly as she held the tumbler to his lips, then sank back on his pallet bed. I was dreaming, he said, were you, of mother. I was thinking how much you've come to look like her. She did not answer him. Six years had passed, but still the subject was too raw in her memory to speak of. I was thinking I might stay here tomorrow, she said after a moment. Finish those experiments you began last week. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, I thought I could be on hand then if you needed me. I'll be okay. It's only tiredness. I know, but if you want to stay, stay. And the experiments? You know what you're doing, Anna. You know almost as much as I do now. Never, she said, smiling across at him. The silence stretched on. After a while, she could hear his soft snoring filling the darkened room. She moved back into the kitchen. The moon had risen. She could see it low in the sky through the window. Setting the tumbler down, Anna sat on the stone ledge of the window and looked out across the desert. What if it wasn't simple tiredness? What if he was ill? It was more than a hundred miles to Tajinar. If her father was ill, there was no way they could make it there across the desert, even if she laid him on the cart, not in the summer's heat. She would have to tend him here, using what they had. Her head had fallen at the thought. She lifted it now. It was no good moping. Flowers. She would paint him some flowers and place the canvas in the doorway so he would see them when he woke in the morning. The idea of it galvanized her. She got up and went through the workroom, lighting the oil lamp with her father's tinderbox and setting it down on the stone tabletop on the far side of the room. Then, humming softly to herself, she took her mother's paint box down from the shelf and clearing a space for herself began. And now, in a passage later, Tiana as Gen's mother. It was the fourth anniversary of Gen's naming day, and a solemn ceremony was taking place in the family mansion in Dunny. Until today, Gen had been a child, free to play as a child played, but from this hour onward, he would take his first steps toward becoming a guildsman. Looking on, Anna felt deeply for her son. Standing amid the guild officials, little Gen looked terrified. His hair had been cut, and he was wearing guild clothes, duplicates of those his father, Atrus, and his grandfather, Callus, wore as they stood. In front of them, behind a special trestle table that had been set up in the room, Eteru, the Grand Master of the Guild of Books, it was to his guild that Gen was to be apprenticed, and the boy would join them in their halls two weeks from now. Two days ago, knowing how much her son was dreading the occasion, Anna had gone to Atrus in his study and asked him if Gen really did need to join the guild just then. He was sure to miss home dreadfully, but Atrus was adamant. It was the Dunny way, and if Gen was to be considered Dunny, 
and make his eventual way in the world, then he must conform to the ways of the guild. And so she was to relinquish him long before he was ready to be taken from her. It would break his heart and hers, but maybe Atrus was right. Maybe in the long run it would be best for him, yet she had her doubts. As the Grand Master called the boy forward, she found herself praying silently that she would remember the words she had taught him, the words of the Guild Oath. Slowly, stumblingly, Yen forced them out. As he finished, Master Itero smiled benevolently down on the child, then a slow, sonorous drawl uttered the words of acceptance, and so it was done. Her son was now a guildsman. Afterward, she held him, telling him how proud she was, but she could see the fear of separation in his eyes. Atrus had been saying his farewells to the guildsman. Now he came back. He stood in the doorway, looking at her and Gen. Are you angry with me? She nodded. He sighed, exasperated. I'm sorry, Tiana, but you know how things stand. It is the Dunny way, and we cannot afford to act differently. That would be self-indulgent. You knew that when you became a Dunny. I know, she said, as angry at herself as at him, but I did not think it would be so hard. It seems that each book in the series, now book two in The Mistreader, takes us further into the relationships and the history of the story that we all become a part of when we first decide to become a Mistreader or a Yeru Traveler. This is Ruby Odegi for The Cavern Today. This is it for today's program. We would like to thank Moag and his guest today, Eric L., administrator for the Tapestry Shard, until Uru's popular singing artist, Mateus, our Cavern Today regulars, Veraloon. We would like to thank Steve Crocs for the Gamers Union Report, Ruby Odegi for the Miss Series Book Review, and all those great ad spots. Also, to producers and directors who put together this episode. Finally, a special thanks to the cast of The Journey of the Called, and to LCC for his musical and sound know-how. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. This is Tyon for The Cavern Today. <laughs>